a sip instead of yours. If you're looking for a way to get more positive things going into your life, I'd encourage you to check out our friends at Christian Living Magazine. You can find out everything you need at ChristianLivingMag.com. Hello, hello, everybody. Good morning. Wow. All right. We're doing stuff and stuff is going. I don't know why I'm singing. Well, we've got another good session here. This is going to be great. All right. We are in lesson 26 of the gospel according to John. This is chapter 1145 to chapter 12, verse 8. So we're ending forty, uh, ending chapter 11 and getting into the beginning of chapter 8. And we're calling this You Know Nothing. And we're <laughs> seems rude, seems a little abrupt. Uh, yeah, it's, we're actually taking it out of the mouth of a Sadducee makes, makes it the, the rude part makes sense there. Right. And it fits with the narrative still of the beginning of chapter eight. So it's good. It'll be great. So here we go. Chapter 11, verse 45 in the ESV. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the, so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. So they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. 
And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. All right. So first of all, this legitimately is my first cup of coffee. So give, have a little grace and leniency this morning, please. <laughs> all right. This breaks down into two basic sections. Okay. We get 45 to 57, the ending of chapter 11. This is one of the areas and one of the times where you, you read the scriptures and go, hey, this is a natural break. Great. <laughs> so the actual break there, um, you know nothing, which we just heard the Sadducees say to others, others in the high council, right? And then we get the beginning of chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, Mary anoints Jesus. So let's go ahead and check this out, okay? 1145, and 45 to 48 here. Many of the Jews, therefore, capital J, right? Now remember, if we go back to last week, before we really go, Right, go back to last week. What just happened? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Right, Jesus pulls up into Bethany after waiting when Lazarus would have already been deadened in the tomb when he got there. If he left right when he got word, he waited extra days anyway to make it all the more clear the power of God that was going on. Okay, now many of the Jews, because the Jews Jewish leadership was some of them were there mourning which was custom with Mary and Martha over the death of their brother, Lazarus. They followed them to the tomb. Jesus told them to roll away the stone, but Lord, he stinketh and do it anyway. Told you you're going to see some pretty cool stuff. And they roll away the stone and prays out. It even says in the middle of the prayer, I'm not doing this for you, God, because I know you always hear me. I'm doing that for those around me that they may believe. Basically, so they'll get off my back and stop telling people I'm demon-possessed and realize that I am the son of God. Now, there were Jewish leadership right there with him. And he yells out, Lazarus, come out. And lo and behold, coming out wrapped up like a mummy with the normal cloths that they would do, right? He comes out. He didn't even have time to take anything off. He just came out. And this is the first response that we see of anybody, because we, it was just, John's discussion of this was literally, go take the stuff off of them, and then done, and that's it, and then you get 45, many of the Jews, therefore, un, right, Greek, un, therefore, so, because of, therefore, because of what they saw, what they witnessed right there, they had been there mourning with Mary and Martha, over the death of Lazarus. They knew Lazarus was ill. They probably helped put him in the tomb, sealed it with the stone. They were there, recognized that he stinketh, and it wasn't regular B.O. There is a specific odor that comes from a body that is deceased. Anybody been around anything dead? Yeah, it just happens, right? There's a distinct odor. It is not normal body odor, they witnessed it. They were there. Therefore, many of the Jews, Jewish leadership, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, he being Jesus, believed in him. 
Wow, I guess this guy's not a fraud or a demon-possessed guy after all. Okay, thus many of the, many of the Jews believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees, which again was this really small group, but they were really influential. And when I say really small, I mean, like, they're, they're not like, yeah, maybe they're not tiny, but they're, they're a smaller sect, right? They're like a subsect of Judaism that's extremely, extremely, extremely into some of the additions of the law. So they can show that they're so much better and more perfect than everyone else, right? Some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council, council being the Sanhedrin, okay, the Sanhedrin, the actual Jewish council. So this is like the head of the Jewish people and of the Jewish faith and of the Jewish community, like as a government system that was operating inside of Roman rule, right? So they have kind of a semi-autonomous situation. That's how Rome would often come in with, with places. They would conquer-ish. They would conquer, and then they would let them have their semi-autonomous zone. Like you can, like we had Chaz, I guess, for a while. Not we, but there was Chaz in, in Seattle too soon. Okay. Anyway, so we had that, right? They had this little semi-autonomous zone, and that was what they, how they operated, right? That was their government structure inside of it. Running under Roman rule, they could still do things that matter to their own religion. That was, that was how that happened. You operate with your religious beliefs and you handle anything according to your law for that. We handle the actual like governmental law and it would be a Roman, right? So the Jews, the Jewish people bring together the council, which is the Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin gathers and they said, what are we to do for this man performs many signs? They're not denying this, right? They're just coming straight out and saying it's, it's happened. This, this guy is doing stuff that we can't do that we taught and teach that God can do. And that we saw through Moses and, and we saw all these great things. And this guy is doing it and then some. If we let him go on like this, verse 48, if we let him go on like this, everyone, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. This is a very telling statement about what the Jewish leadership and the Jewish council was really concerned about. They are recognizing Jesus is doing all of these things. And if they continue to let Jesus do all of these things, the people will start following Jesus. Jesus is teaching that eh, we got some stuff wrong. Jesus is teaching that eh, you've missed the point. Well, we don't like that. Because we are in power, we are in a position, and that's what we want to keep. And I can say that because of verse 48. The Romans, if we let him do this, and everyone follows him, the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Their concern is for power. 
Their concern is for power. They have the Son of God walking the streets, displaying God's power. And their concern is that the people will follow the Son of God and that Rome will come and take away what they have. That's literally what that says. That is what they're discussing and saying right there. Now, what's really interesting about this, what's really interesting about this, is we see what is this place and what is the nation? Like, why are they so concerned about this? They have an autonomous zone. Why are they concerned and worried about this? Like, it's hindsight 2020, they're still a Jewish nation. Like, I mean, they came back, right? But they're still Jewish people. Like, people still follow Judaism, right? So why hindsight, right? It's a little weird, maybe. Okay. They, they, their fears and worries and concerns weren't misplaced. In a government structure, their concerns were not misplaced. Now, the place that they're referring to is going to be the temple. Okay, there's, there's, let's let's take a look at Acts chapter six, verses thirteen and fourteen. Um, we see another indication that when we talk about place, talk about place like this, it's a reference to the temple. And they set up false witness who said this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Okay, place is a reference to temple. Okay, this place is a temple. Okay, if they did that, they took away the place, the temple, that takes away their governing right for the Jewish leadership to handle the religious aspect, thus then taking away the entire nation. Okay, they had that semi-autonomous zone so that if they paid their taxes and they followed Roman law, then they can handle all of the religious stuff on their own. If it's a religious crime, they handle it. It goes through the Jewish courts. It handles through everything Jewish, right? That's just like, it's, it, it just, it kind of meshes, right? It kind of worked not well, but it worked together, okay? But ironically, ironically, this happened anyway. This happened anyway. About 40 years later, this happened anyway. So if we look at history real fast, we'll just, I, I like this stuff. To me, this is where things get interesting because we link scripture with actual history. Scripture can be actual history, right? But we link it up with the time frames, and it just makes everything fall into place and it, it makes everything real, right? We can look at it and go, wow, this stuff actually happened. This isn't just some mythical book that someone says, here, read this. This will give you all of the answers to your problems and you feel better about yourself. No, this actually links to actual history. This stuff happened. This stuff is reliable, relatable, tangible. We can go back in time and see where and how this stuff happened. In fact, we have archaeologists that do it all the time. Archaeologists for other religious groups and other religions leave them and come to Christianity because they can't find the evidence for those religions, but they're finding evidence for Christianity and Judaism left and right and left and right. And they're finding things right where the Bible says it was supposed to happen. It's, a, it's amazing to see, but this happened about 40 years after. So if we fast forward, this is, mm, I mean, it's arguable whether Jesus died 30 or 33 AD. Okay. Uh, um, 
or if you're going by the new modern way of saying it, CE, Common Era. doesn't matter. Same, same thing. 3033, somewhere about there. just depends on the changeover. At around 66 AD, there was a, this little thing known as the Jewish Revolt. Well, unfortunately, the emperor at the time that they were revolting under, not maybe not the smartest one to revolt under, hindsight 2020, is Nero. They revolted under Nero. You know, the guy that burnt down half of Rome and blamed the Christians and the Jews for it? Yeah, that one. Okay, so they revolted under Nero, who sent in General Vaspian, who actually later became Emperor Vaspian in 69 AD. Mind you, during this time frame, like when Nero went out, we had like, we, they had like four emperors in like a couple of years was a really messy time. That house was getting cleaned left and right. It just kept like, they, nobody was happy with who was ruling. Everybody had to be in charge, right? Well, in 70 AD, Titus besieged Jerusalem. Titus was not the emperor yet. He was a general at this point. Titus besieged Jerusalem at Passover. Now, here's the thing. Militarily, this is strategically genius. But it is brutal beyond I can't say beyond compare, but it is brutal and disgusting what this guy did. Again, strategically, militarily, absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But as a humanitarian, disgusting. Besieged Jerusalem at Passover. What he did is he circled Jerusalem and he allowed all of the pilgrims, because you just have all the Jews from around, they would all come in. That was what you did at Passover. You would come in, which you're about to see because we're starting to start Passover in this story, right? Where we're at in the story, we're starting Passover. People flood into Jerusalem. Well, he circled Jerusalem and allowed the pilgrims, it's okay, come on in. There's been a little bit, we're, we're here to, for protection, it's fine. And they go in. But then they won't let them leave. And they don't let any continuing supplies to go in. And they starved out the city. They filled it over capacity and starved them out. Then they finally broke into the city and massacred much of the remaining population. Okay. Then they also destroyed the temple. The only thing that's left is the Western Wall, which is what we know today as the Wailing Wall. That's still around today. History. There you go. All right. 49 to 53. But one of them, Caiaphas. Who was the high priest that year? Well, he wasn't just the high priest that year. That dude was high priest for 18 years. He was high priest from AD 18 all the way to AD 36. So if this was somewhere between 30, 33, I, I tend to, to go with Jesus with this being 33, closer to 33. It all depends on when Jesus was born, right? But uh, 33, if this is at 33... That dude was still high priest for another three years. And he had already been high priest for over a decade. Okay. Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Now, this is a really interesting thing because... As our culture and society today, we would 
primarily completely agree with that. Man, if one person had to die or the whole people die, it makes more sense for the one person to die. That actually goes against Christianity. That is not the teachings of Jesus. That is not the teachings of the Bible. That is not the teachings of God. That is not how God views things. Well, in this case, there was one time that that was the case. God wanted companionship beyond himself. So he creates everything and then creates man, people, not just a a man, right? Man and woman, he made them, right? Created people, created us for relationship with him. We screwed it up. We screwed it up, which means we can no longer be with him, which means we all die. Well, there was a way out of this. Either all die or one dies. God chose the one, but he didn't put it on anyone. He came himself. The one time that God said, this is how it has to be like that, God chose himself. Now, this is also the concept of how we get martyrs. Well, oh, well, I would say probably willing martyrs. I should have clarified that, willing martyrs. People who are, yeah, no, take me and just let them go. I'll turn myself in so that the the kingdom can spread, right? The word of God can spread. The word of Jesus can spread. But if we really look at how God views mankind, how God views people, he loves everyone. Every individual has a unique value. And yet that unique value is also the same value. God loved you so much that he sent himself in the form of Jesus to die on the cross for you. There's a stark contrast here between Caiaphas and the Jewish leadership and the Jewish understanding of how this should operate. And the, well, let's be, just to be real, the human understanding of how this should operate. In a human logical sense, this makes sense, right? If everyone's going to die or that one dude dies, uh, buy one dude. I mean, in a human standpoint, that makes more sense. Goodbye, one dude. It was nice knowing you. Thanks for healing that blind guy. I, okay. It's, it's not good, but it's better than the alternative, right? It's the lesser of two evils. I suppose. But that's the difference between how man operates and how man understands things and how God understands. Hey, Sip and Studiers. As you may know, the family and I have been called into missions and are now officially missionaries to the church in Pakistan. Can't tell you how excited we are for this. It's a great opportunity and we are so blessed for it. But if you've known anybody who's gone into missions, you know, can't do it on our own. We need people to be partnered with us, partnered in prayer, and yes, also in financial support. But there's so much more. If you feel God tugging at your heart, letting you know that he has a plan for you to make an impact in the church in Pakistan, we'd love for you to reach out to us and partner with us. You can do that and more at chogglobal.org slash dsbrown. That's chogglobal.org slash dsbrown, as in Drew and Sonny Brown. Now, back to the study. 51. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation 
and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one of the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Okay. Now, he prophesied. Bring that up. Bring the high priest. You have different communication with God. You know, you got to go in different parts of the temple where that communication happened. It gave this... It's, it's the way it operated. Okay. It's one of those things that how we have direct communication with God now because of Jesus, we don't have to go through a high priest anymore. Jesus is the high priest, the final high priest, and we get direct communication. That didn't happen prior to this. Okay. That's not how that kind of revelation came through. You were either a prophet, if God spoke through you, or you were a high priest who got to go into the holy of holies, right? You got to go and talk to God. Now, this section here really does show the reputation of the Sadducees. Okay, Caiaphas was a Sadducee, okay? He's blunt, he's rude, he's arrogant. Everything you'd come to expect, right? He prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Okay, he also prophesied that it, they would bring back the scattered into Jerusalem. Well, in true Johinian style which is John, how he writes, this has a double meaning. John does that a lot. A lot of what John writes has double meanings. He thinks in ways that, that bring this something to light that also brings another side to light, right? We see that a lot in John's writings. This brings that double meaning, both saying that the, Jew, the Jewish people from the Romans for another 30, 40 years, and also foreshadowing the atonement of the blood of Jesus at the cross, gathering together the kingdom of God, both inside of Jerusalem, being the Jewish population, and outside, being the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And then 53, just very direct, they plan to fulfill this prophecy themselves. <laughs> From that day on, they made plans to put him to death. He prophesied, this guy's got to die so that the nation can last. Let's kill him. I mean, it's, I'm not trying to make this a comedy, but that's basically what just happened, right? I'm going to prophesy that this guy has to die so that we can live, so let's go kill him. Hmm, all right. That's interesting. Okay, 54. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews. Capital J, the Jewish leadership. Okay, he didn't walk openly, probably amongst a lot of the Jewish people, period, because was basically a bounty on his head, but he didn't walk openly, especially around the Jewish leadership, but went from there to the region near the wilderness. When we say wilderness, we're talking about like uh, the Judean desert. I, I know. I, we're, I'm in Idaho. When I say wilderness, I'm thinking like forest, right? Thick forest, lots of animals. No, we're talking desert. Wilderness in this term, in biblical term like this, is the, the desert. And, and usually the desert in Judea, and it's kind of like a southern region, but it also, Judea is the southern region, right? We have Galilee up in the north, and then we have Samaria, and then we have Judea down at the south. And so you kind of have this rather large desert region, okay? But he went to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. Now, Ephraim 
is near Jericho. To put this into perspective so that we can get a concept of how far these places are, this is near Jericho. It's up in the northeastern portion of Judea, just south of Samaria. Like, it's just south of the border of Judea and Samaria and towards the east, okay, towards the Dead Sea. Just to give a little bit of reference so that we can figure out what we're talking about and where we're looking at. 55 to 57. Now, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Passover happens in the month of Nisan. Remember, this is a Jewish lunar-based calendar system. We don't follow a lunar-based calendar system, so they vary. Our calendar and their calendar vary. This happens traditionally sometime in March or April. The last major timestamp we had was Hanukkah. Happens usually in December, November, December. So we're most likely looking at somewhere between three and possibly five months, but realistically three or four months between the last major timestamp and this major timestamp, which means all of the things that we've read between the Jews picking up stones to stone Jesus and then trying to arrest him and he left, and now happened in three to four months. Okay, so we just have a window, a picture here, so that we can follow a basic timeline. This happened and all this happened in about a three to four month system. It's Passover. This is the third and final Passover mentioned by John during the ministry of Jesus. Many went up to, from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves, which was actually just normal. It was standard. It was customary for people to purify themselves prior to Passover. And since it's at hand, uh, meaning it's, it's about to ha- begin. Now, Passover of the Jews was at hand. Doesn't mean that it is Passover. It means it's about to begin. Like, it's at hand. The time is at hand. We got to get we gotta get ready. It's it's at hand. It's now. Like, it's not starting, starting, but it the time for preparation is now because it's about to begin. So people are going up, okay? They were looking, looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? He will not come to the feast at all. The chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone know where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. And I'm sure people were torn on that. Some people were okay. And other people were probably, no, let's hide him. Let's, we like this Jesus guy. He's actually doing good, like what they're supposed to do, and they're not doing it. He's doing it. So why would we want him arrested? All right, go, going into chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover. Okay, six days before. Now, Passover begins Friday evening at sundown. Okay, the Jewish system handles things from sun up to sundown. Okay, so when the sundown happens, that's the end of that day and thus the beginning of the next, right? Even though the day hasn't begun, it starts, right? Anything that would begin that begins at that time. So Passover begins Friday evening at sundown because that would be the very beginning of Saturday. Without, without operates, okay? So this was Saturday before that it would happen. This is the Saturday prior to the beginning of Passover. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Now this therefore is again that Greek un. Same, same term, same term. It's the same that we see as so or therefore. Therefore, but why therefore? Because Passover was at hand. It was the beginning of Passover. We're right about to see Passover happen. Everything's going to happen in Jerusalem. That's where things are at, where people are at, where everything's happening. He knows he needs to go. Okay. 
So Passover was at hand. Therefore, so because it's Passover, Jesus goes. But he's staying out of, this is also a therefore for, the Jews are looking to arrest him and kill him. Oh, okay. Well, uh, let's, because he's not walking openly with the Jews anymore, the capital J, the leadership anymore. Okay, so we got to stay out. So we'll go to a town that's a couple miles off where I have some really good friends. Makes sense, right? Therefore, he goes to Bethany. It's only a couple miles away. Remember, it's about two miles away from Jerusalem. Two. So they gave him a dinner for him there. They, mm, most likely, they would be Martha and Lazarus and also Mary. Okay, we actually see that later on. We, we see in this, they gave him dinner. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. And then in verse three, Mary, therefore, took a pound. Okay. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus are the they. There's probably more, but that's at least the they that we know of. That is the, I hate to say the important they, but as far as for the narrative apparently is concerned, according to John, they are the they that is important. Now, couple things that we actually can see from this one line. And, and it seems weird that you can take much from they gave dinner for him. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. That's not a lot of information, but we can actually take quite a bit out of this. Now we see, we see this also in the synoptic, wow, synoptic gospels that Martha did tend to be the one who focused more on work at hand like taking care of things that were present that needed to happen, like taking care of the stuff, right? I tend to be one of those people that there's stuff that has to be done. Let's do it. So I would kind of be like a Martha in that, in that sense. Whereas Mary was a, I'm going to focus on Jesus. Like I am concerned with my relationship with Jesus, Jesus, period. Well, Martha was also concerned with her relationship with Jesus, but she knew that certain things still had to be done. And so she took care of them to take care of him and to take care of everyone else who was there. That's just, we all have our personalities, right? That's, and I, mine tends to fall into that category. So that's how this works. Okay. This also is in the synoptic gospels. Now, pause for a second. Some of you might say, what is a synoptic gospel? The first three, Matthew, Luke. <laughs> I need more coffee, apparently. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not a blending of Luke and Mark all into one, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke would be considered the synoptic gospels. They all follow the same basic timeline, the same basic pattern, talk about the same basic stories with a little variation here and there, uh, but they're all very, very similar. And you can actually lay them out as a timeline together and they work beautifully together. John's is different. And that's why John's is the, John, is the gospel according to John. John focuses on different things, and John may have had some opportunity to be with Jesus and hear things and see things that the others may have been out working and doing different things. So John gives a slightly different, not different in that it's inaccurate, not different in that it's wrong, different in that it's from a different perspective and trying to teach a different element of the good news. Gospel just means good news. That's the, actually what the term means, good news. And so this is John's side of what he witnessed, how he represents this, 
good news of Jesus. All right. So Martha tended to be the one who focused on the work. Mary focused on being near Jesus. And I can say that because let's take a look at, at Luke. Let's do, let's actually take a look at Luke really fast. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is actually something that we see also represented in this story here. Jesus appreciates the, I'm just going to say it. I, you're, some people are going to take this wrong and you know what? You're going to take it wrong. You're going to take it wrong regardless, but it needs to be said. Jesus appreciated the childlike faith of Mary. Not saying Mary was a child, not saying Mary acted like a child. I am saying Mary had a childlike faith. This is what's important. Yeah, that other stuff has to get done, but I can take care of that other stuff later. This. I want to listen to Jesus. I am here with Jesus. What? what that other stuff can wait. I'm here for Jesus. Jesus appreciated that. I think he also appreciated Martha and what she was doing, but he really appreciates the childlike faith that we see in Mary. All right, continuing on though with, with what we're seeing here in verse two. So they gave dinner for him there. Dinner, the Greek is depnon, is the main meal of the day, okay? It's not necessarily just dinner time, the big meal of the day, but we get yet another clue of what's going on here. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table or at table. The fact that he was reclining gives us an indication that this was not a mere dinner. This was a feast. This was a banquet, not just a regular humble meal. Jesus and his disciples came and they feasted. Now, within this system, when they would have a dinner, they might do like sit at the table or sit at something, right? But when they had a feast, they had a special long table that was really short low to the ground and people would sit on the ground, whether they'd be on pillows or, you know, some kind of a cushion or just a rug or just on the dirt, depending on the, on, on how wealthy you were at the time. Right. But what they would do is because that was so low, they would actually kind of lay off to the side with their hip on the ground and they would lean up to the table, kind of like this, right? Elbow on the table. And they would just kind of lean there and talk and feast and their feet would be kicked away from the table with their head and everything towards the table. And they would just be over it and they just recline. But that is an indication of a feast. That's a bigger ordeal than just a, hey, we made food here, have some food. So they're feasting. This was a celebration. This was a big deal, right? So they were taking care of this as a big deal. Three to eight. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. We're going to read the whole section and then go through because we have a lot of notes on three to eight. There's a lot in this. Mary took a Therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, 
he who is about to betray him, who is, like John's just making note of that, right? He who is about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Okay, this account, this direct account, is included in both Matthew and Mark. You can find that. Take note. You can find this and look it up for yourself. Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14. And those two in the Greek are nearly word for word identical. So much so that scholars say one of them cheated off of the other. One of them wrote it and the other one copied it and made a couple like hmm, making a little change here or there, right? Now, is anyone going to complain about plagiarism at this day? Uh, we reference and copy the Bible all the time. No, they're trying to get the word out. No one's going to care. Matthew or Mark might have been annoyed at one another, but at the end of the day, no, they are not going to care that the other copied their work in regards to this. Now, but they're nearly identical word for word. Those accounts show Mary anointing Jesus's head, however, not Jesus's feet. Now, what likely happened is that she did both, but it's easier for some people to handle and tolerate just the anointing of the head because culturally you would actually do that. When a guest would come into their house, you would anoint with oil on the head. It was like a blessing, a saying, thank you for joining it. You know, like it's, it's a blessing and anointing like God's favor on you, right? They would anoint with oil. And so likely she did both because of that custom. But the servants in wealthy homes would clean the feet. But Mary both honored Jesus by anointing the head and showed devotion to Jesus by anointing his feet. Now, what's interesting here is Luke does not cover this account. Many do assume because Luke has a vaguely similar account, kind of, it has a different account though. And they assume that the wiping of Jesus's feet in Luke chapter seven is the same incident. But there's a lot of differences in this. Who he's with is different. Where he's at is different. Um, the woman was wiping and cleaning his feet with her tears and kissing him and doing things. I mean, it was it was very different. It was just really different. So it's not really likely that that is the same incident. Okay. So, but this is covered in Mark chapter 14 and Matthew chapter 26. Luke 7, different account. Go ahead and check that one out though too. It is an interesting thing and good to know about. All right. Different, different time frame, different location, different reaction even from Jesus. What Jesus says about what's going on is even different. Now, the 300 denarii, because the house was filled with a fragrance, okay? Now, here we are. Let's take a look at this. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet. Now, it doesn't say anything about what it came in, what happened to said vessel. Matthew and Mark talk a little bit about the vessel, what it came in. Now, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house filled with the fragrance of perfume. Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples. Why wasn't this sold? You could sell this for 300 denarii. Okay, denarii was a general working day's wage. That's a lot. So 300 denarii is actually a representation of a year's work. An entire year's salary for an average working person. Now, 
I'm saying average working person. We're not talking about people who would be like, in that day and age, an architect or someone who ran a, a really big, important job that, you know, you had to have certain education or know the right people to get into, right? Those made a lot more. General working wage, 300 denarii was an entire year's salary. So if someone went and worked a field, someone worked a fishing stall or whatever, they'd make about a 300 denarii a year. One denarii was a day's wage. This was not cheap. I want to expand on this. How not cheap was this? Now, many people would say because of inflation and most people today make blah, 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 blah. I, I want to look at this as actual household income. Because back in the day, in Jerusalem, Hebrew society, Jewish society, very much like most societies, most of human existence, man and woman had different tasks. The man went and broke his back working to earn the money and to provide and protect the family. Woman broke her back taking care of the family and the household. Okay? Both equally broke their back. <laughs> Both worked equally as hard. Both equally valuable. Two separate tasks. One, make the money so that we can live. Two, let me take care of everything else so that we can live. Our society today does not work and operate in that way. And thus, the way we look at money and think of money as, and, as household finances is completely shifted and completely skewed. So if we want to get down to what this actually would look like today, we actually have to, instead of looking at one person's wage, because we'll say two people were working. No, one person would have been working most likely. So this is a household wage of 300 denarii. That entire house lived off of 300 denarii a year. So we have to look at household income. I'm in Idaho. I'm in Nampa, Idaho, which is not one of the wealthiest parts of Idaho. Idaho. Boise is. We're a suburb, but our actual area is not one of the wealthiest parts. Where I am at, if you look at the actual average household income, it's forty dollars to $50,000 a year. Household. That means where I live, and you look at other places, that gets up into the 60s, 50s, 60s, even 70s of thousands of dollars a year. That means that this bottle of oil, perfume, ointment, whatever you wanted to call it, it was called slightly different things in different places, and it's actually just different translations of the Greek. It's fine. It doesn't matter. This bottle of smelly stuff today would be the equivalent of a Tesla. Brand new, off the lot. And I mean that legitimately. You can get a Tesla Model 3 for $43,000. You can get a Model Y for fifty, a little above fifty. So even in Nampa, where I'm at, this would be worth a Tesla, brand new. This is expensive stuff. So Judas kind of had a little bit of a point. But then we get an, an, a, a reference here that it's not the point that's made, it's the heart behind the point. He didn't say it because he cared about the poor. He cared about it because he wanted his fair share or what he thought was his fair share because he took parts and pieces out of whatever went into that purse for himself. Now, 
Jesus then says, leave her alone. She may keep it for the day of my burial for the poor you always have with you, but you will not always have me. Now, in both here and in Luke chapter 10, different section of Luke, right? The chapter 10, Luke 10 that we already read, actually. We see Jesus pointing to Mary, uh, Mary having a proper response and following of Jesus. Her heart is in the right place and she follows it, right? Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Jesus appreciates the way Mary focuses on him. Almost like he's what's important. I mean, I know on the audio you can't hear my... Like, see the voice, but, all right, see my face, but there you go. There's a little bit more to this, okay, that she may keep it. Now, if the reason I said that Matthew and Mark talk a little bit more about the vessel, Mark noticed the, the, the flask, what this was brought in, was broken. She broke it and used on Jesus, meaning that's it. It's gone. It's not salvageable after this. I am... Done. I'm not saving some of this for later. I'm using this really expensive on Jesus. Now we also see Judas. Judas seems to indicate that this has been wasted and nothing left, right? We actually said, why was this ointment not sold and given to the poor? Just the way that he's talking about this indicates that you can't even sell it now. It's useless. It's worthless. You've ruined it. You poured it on his head and now on his feet. Like, it's gone. Like, why did you do that? The the reason that I bring this up is because it's really easy to read this and say, yeah, leave her alone. She can just use the rest of it for his burial. You know, again, hindsight 2020, Jesus dies a little bit after. Let her use it at the burial. That's fine. Like, it makes sense. But in the accounts and the way Judas acts, it seems like there's really not going to be anything left. So what does Jesus mean by this? So there's another interpretation that Jesus means that she can keep the memory. She can keep the memory of being with me and anointing my feet and anointing my head and taking care of me and spending time with me and focusing on me while I'm here. Let her keep that. There's another interpretation still that she kept it for this occasion, leading up to his burial, right? That Jesus said, leave her alone. She kept it for this. Like she kept it for this specific thing, leading up to my burial. Now, it's really interesting as we go on from this, for the poor you always have with you. Kind of goes against the uh, prosperity gospel, right? God wants everybody healthy, wealthy, and happy. Nah. As long as the wealth is not Financial, the happy is actually content and joyful, not happy. And healthy means spiritually healthy. God does want that. But if you're trying to take it in an earthly sense, like you say it, that is not anywhere to be found in the Bible. In fact, it's contrary to the vast majority of what you find in the Bible. Now, I'm not saying... God doesn't want things good good for people, but life happens, okay? We have to allow for that. That's part of living in a sin-filled world. That is just part of it. It's a discussion for another time. But anyway, it says, the poor you will always have 
right? You're always going to have those in need. Always. Now, he's not discouraging helping them. He's actually alluding to Deuteronomy 15.11. Deuteronomy 15.11, which says, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Saying, yeah, okay, be generous. Help them. Jesus is saying, you're always going to have the poor, but you're not always going to have me. Now, one, this is Jesus as the Messiah being there in person. But this is also a great indication that you're not always going to have your loved ones. They're not always going to be there with you. It is okay to do special things, to have special times with your family. That does not go against God. Just because you have a special time and you've saved up and you have a special time with your family, instead of selling it for the price of a Tesla and giving it to the poor, does not mean that you're going against God. Now, if you never give to the needy, if you never help and you're greedily hoarding things like Judas, why aren't you selling that so that I can take some of that money for myself? If you're like that, then there's a problem. But if you're helping in ways that you can help, if you're giving when you have the opportunity to give, that, by the way, is not enabling. If you have somebody in your life who is take, 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 nonstop, at some point you better realize that you're just enabling their problems. You need to help them find a way out of their problem. And that way out of their problem is not always your pocketbook. Okay, stop enabling in the, everyone. There's a difference between helping the poor and the needy and giving to the poor and the needy. Life happens. And that's when you give to people. That's the type of person that you help out and you give. Because sometimes we just need a leg up. That's it. And we get back on our feet. We get that little bit of security, that little bit of encouragement to help us move forward. But if there's no desire to move forward, and they're constantly in this position of help, 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 help. And I have a list of people that I go through help, and they've all started turning me down now. How, how many times have you gone through this list? Like, that's not what that's meant for. I'm a soapbox. Sorry. Anyway, going on. It's not against, right? You can have a good time. You can celebrate and enjoy the people and the situations in your life that God has put there and help the needy. That's the whole point, right? It's a, it's a situation with your heart. It's a situation with your heart. Don't always have me. He's foreshadowing his own death on the cross and ascension to heaven. They really would not physically have him for much longer. God is not opposed to celebrating the good we have. There's a difference between saving something for a special occasion and greedily hoarding it. All right, takeaway. What can we take away? All right, this might sound odd, but I'm going to be real with you. Kung Fu Panda, the movie Kung Fu Panda, wasn't wrong. When, when I can't remember the turtle's name, but when the turtle says, sometimes you find your destiny on the road you take to avoid it. Let's say that one more time. Pay attention to that. Let that sink in for a second. Sometimes you find your destiny on the road you take to avoid it. Do not be like the Sanhedrin and choose saving today for losing tomorrow, right? I'll gladly pay you tomorrow for a hamburger today. It's better that we kill Jesus 
so that we can have tomorrow. Now, granted, it's better that Jesus, being God, sacrificed himself on the cross for us so that we can have eternity with God in heaven rather than for all of us to die and to be in the pit. Also, this was coming up to Passover. This is a major event. The timing could not seem worse as everyone wanted to see Jesus. And he was nowhere to be found. Because he was a couple miles away in somebody's house, right? He wasn't just out in the open. When God's timing seems the worst, God's timing seems the worst, trust him the most. And believe me, he has a reason for it. When God's timing seems really, really bad, there's a reason for it. Embrace it and embrace God all the more. Okay, when God calls, be smart about things. This one we, we have a tendency to miss, right? When God calls, be smart about things. He gave you a brain for a reason. Even Jesus, the son of God, God in the flesh, went out of the public eye, stopped roaming with the Jewish leadership, right? Trust God, be bold, and be smart about it. That's actually one of the notes, and I have a, uh, one of my Bibles that I have, one that I like to take notes in, and that is actually one of the notes that I wrote in this section, was be smart. Be bold, but be smart about how you follow God and how you do things. Be smart about it. Finally, God looks at your heart. As we worship in spirit and in truth, it's, it's less about actions and more about the why behind them. Remember, there's a vast difference between saving for a special occasion and greedily hoarding something. There's a vast difference. God, thank you so much for today, for your word, for Jesus coming, living, teaching, showing, being that perfect example and dying on the cross for us. God, thank you so much for all of this. Just ask that you continue to be with us and bless us. Help this seep into our hearts, into our minds. Help your word transform us on the inside so that that can be represented on the outside as we live and go through life. Thank you so much for everything. Continue to be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, thank you guys so much. I hope you have a great rest of the weekend and uh, God bless. Talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.